listening to First Church Charlotte. My name is Nathan. It is my honor to spend a few moments with you on this Wednesday evening. Tonight we are talking about one of the most practical subjects I think exists in uh, the life of believers and I think perhaps more in all of our lives, whatever the circumstances of our life, whatever the reality of our current faith, uh, this is supremely practical. I'm talking about fear. How do we overcome fear uh, in the real world? Now, I should be full disclosure and let you know that although everyone fights fear, um, I am speaking to people of faith and I am speaking uh, from the reality, from the personal lived experience of believers and their individual testimonies of how God has brought them through. Fear is, is difficult because we use the word for so many different things. There are spiritual lessons that are hard to understand, but fairly easy to live, um, oftentimes because of the living of it is not the daily grind of our lives. It's more an understanding-based concept. And then there's things that are very uh, easy to understand, uh, but very difficult uh, to live. Now, fear, I think, is much more in the category of things that we all think uh, we could accurately describe what fear is. You don't need to consult a dictionary every time you hear the word used, fear. Uh, you don't have to study 17 different Hebrew or Greek dic dictionaries uh, to feel like you know what people mean when they say fear or that they feel fear or that they are afraid. Uh, however, no matter how long we've been serving God, no matter how uh, mighty we perceives our, perceive ourselves to be, uh, I think the anyone who is being honest and humble would say that fear is, is a continuing battle for the believer. I would like to think a day will come where I don't have to uh, admit my fear, confess my fear, turn away from my fear, um, maybe that day will come. And those of you who have arrived at that high place of, of, of fearlessness, um, I just wanna say uh, good for you and I hate you a little bit <laughs> uh, or something like that. So because fear is difficult, in other words, the word can mean so many different things and not all of them are bad, um, we wrestle with it. And the Bible speaks clearly on this, uh, like Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy saying, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Again, you don't have to consult commentaries and uh, religious dictionaries. It kind of makes sense what he is trying to say. And at the same time, we all of us admit that fear is a part of human experience. It's not something that you just can option out uh, when you order your new car. You can't just, you know, no fear. <laughs> That's not how it works. Uh, fear often reveals, let's be real, um, accurate assessments of our limitation. Uh, fear often reveals accurate assessments of our vulnerabilities. Um, and furthermore, fear can even be a good thing. Uh, fear can keep you from swimming with sharks wrestling alligators, dancing with bears. <laughs> you get the idea. Um, fear can be a good thing. And even spiritually, we're, in, we're encouraged in the Bible to fear the Lord. And it says things like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Okay, so now once you put that all in a layer cake, fear starts getting complicated. And I think a lot of believers um, get lost in that layer cake. Um, they're, they're, there's so many different meanings, so many different assessments that uh, because they don't have a precise and simple um, calculus to know what to feel when, they kind of just live in this miasma, this fog, as it were, of indefined, uh, uh, ill-defined, and shall we even uh, dare say mysterious uh, fears. So uh, if we were to look at this, if we were to look at it, how would we as serious Bible students, we all want to be serious Bible students, um, we all want to humble ourselves before the scripture, we want to make sure we're not using the scripture to serve us rather than humbling ourselves, serving God through the scripture. Um, we, we would have to seek to understand this. Yes, it's a layer cake of different language, different usage, different context, and that's the key word right there. Um, we are trying to understand fear in the context of spiritual life. We're not trying to understand fear in the context of automobile racing. Um, if you drive crazy, you should feel fear. People who ride with you should feel fear. Kids who, parents whose kids are playing in the street should feel fear. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, we are trying to understand fear in the context of spiritual life. Remember, uh, you have divine identity. God has given you his name. Uh, you have divine purpose. You're not just trying to be saved. God save us from that kind of passive, self-focused, quasi-religion or fake religion. Our, own, our primary purpose is not just to make sure we're saved. We are placed here by God to bring about change in our world, to let our light shine. We can't bury our gifts. We can't, you understand what I'm saying? All right, almost went off on a side road there, but at the last minute I swerved and avoided the risk. We're trying to understand fear in the context of spiritual life. All right. The best way to understand this in the past, I thought, was to kind of do my typical Bible study, which is to assess as much as possible everything that the Bible says about a subject and then try to start putting things together, rightly divide the word of God. Um, if you don't study the Bible that way, um, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> um, I, I think it's the way. Uh, so many of us, particularly younger believers um, or even even professional Christians, we study the Bible inspirationally. We open the Bible, we find a scripture that touches us as though feeling is the shortcut to God. Um, feeling is part of the journey, but it's not. Um, anyway, uh, I'm avoiding the side roads today. So um, we don't want to study inspirationally. That's not bad per se. It's certainly not all bad at all, but we want to look at the whole of something spoken about in the scripture, and then we want to organize it. What what is saying to who? Um, what is grouped together? What makes sense? Um, so that is uh, the typical way that I would do it. And I realized preparing that kind of a Bible study, I realized that I think at the end of that, at the end at the end of an explanation of all of the different usages of it, um, goods even intelligent well-educated people are left in that vague miasma, that kind of mysterious fog of, okay, well, there's so many different types of fear and not all of them are wrong and some of them are good. And uh, we end up, as it were, 
still in the fog. So I want to do it a little differently and I want to go to first principles. So just, you know, my, you, you hear me teach a lot, just so you know my style. Um, if I am not going, if I'm not going to lay everything out, the Bible says, and try to rightfully divide the word of God, um, the second fallback for me always is first principles. How is this taught to us in symbols before it's taught in law? And how is it taught in law as an introduction to how we live it in grace? First principles. All right. So if you want to go to first principles, understanding uh, this reality of how God meant us to live and how we actually live in the flesh, you have to go to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, we see two paths, two paths. One of them represents the right and one of them represents the wrong. Or one of them is the path of submission to God and the other is the path of exaltation of self. Um, one path is represented by the tree of life. I love to, in my mind, when I'm trying to understand these concepts, I love to just say God's way. One tree represents God's way. And the other tree is called, interestingly, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not called the tree of evil. In fact, the very title of it lets us know it's not all evil. Some of it's good. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It can't be all evil because the Lord surveyed the garden he had created, the world he had created, and he pronounced it good. He didn't pronounce it good except for, oh, that one tree down there that has a serpent hiding in it. Um, so it's you can see that it's more than just the tree of evil. It's not as simple as um, there's God's way and then there's the bad people. It's not quite that simple. Um, it is the knowledge of good and evil. It's not called the tree of death, although death comes from it. It's not even called, as I mentioned, the tree of evil, although evil lies at the door. Um, so if we're gonna think of the tree of life as um, God's way, um, we would begin to think about what then is the tree of the knowledge of good and and evil. Um, so summing up God's way, I would say, looking at the way he created Adam and Eve, he gave them work, care, areas of responsibility. He gave them each other. Uh, he spent time with them. He gave them his presence. And so to kind of try to make this uh, clear, let's call God's way purposeful, worship-focused, and others-focused. It's not good for you to be alone. So it is purpose. God gave him a place and gave him a duty. It is worship. God gave him his presence to walk with him. And finally, God gave him someone else to do life with. And so if you want to look, you know, the 30,000 foot view, you see this reality of these elements in the life of Adam and in the life of Eve. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is more challenging. There is a whole canon of commentary, interpretation in many different religious traditions about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I will not take the time to go down that path, although there is some part of me that would love it. So uh, you are saved, dear friend, from the journey called the path of nerds. And so <laughs> that leaves us with trying to wrap our arms around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Uh, so two things, one of them I've already mentioned, the tree isn't in itself evil, or it isn't all evil. There was good in it too, good and evil. But the important effect of it upon the lives of Adam and Eve is that they, having consumed this fruit, step into the role of judging good and evil for themselves, not submitting to God's command for what is good and is evil. So it's not that all is good and evil in, 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 in itself, it's that they have placed themselves in the role of judging good and evil without, watch this, without God's covering of justice. God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows the nature of our creation. We pretend to know ourselves and our heart fools us, do you see? Um, but God knows us. And so when God is able to say that path is death, he would know. And when God is, a, is able to say that path is life, he would know. Now, when I say this life, it's death, uh, maybe, <laughs> but I haven't God's knowledge. So he, so, so let me say it this way, I need his covering in my life. So the effect of this tree that's not all bad, it's good and bad, and it is the judgment of good and bad for the self, not submitting to God, but judging for myself as a competitor to God, not as a worshiper of God. Um, I, it's as though we would lose our covering of justice. And I think this is, is shown immediately in the story because having consumed the fruit, they immediately notice they are naked. Now, I, I don't think that symbol is in the story because they weren't intelligent enough. I don't think it was lacking of intelligence. I don't think they were dumb oxen lowing in the field. But this image is given to us, this, this, this awareness. All of a sudden, having stepped into the role of God, they see they're naked. It's like they have no covering. God has to give them a covering. How does he do it? He does it through sacrifice. They try to do it with the leaves. That's not it. There's no covering. It's through the shedding of blood. It's through a sacrifice, ultimately a perfect sacrifice, ultimately the blood of the Lamb of God for sinners slain. God covers them, but their covering has not removed the temptation for them to judge God. And one of the most difficult things for us to do is to live a life of trust where we open our hand and we say, I will not judge God. I leave it in his hand, I place it in his hand, I will not judge uh, judge God. And so without his covering, we stand as a competitor to God, not as a worshiper of God. And so here we see that this believer struggling to serve God as a way, as a spiritual way, what you try to do and what I try to do is to submit to God as choice. We choose this way. God will not force it on us. We, as an act of choice, as an act of will, and as an act of worship, we say, God is in control. I will not, I will not condemn God. I will not judge God. I will not charge God foolishly. God is in control. Yes, I am, I, there's a million things I don't know. There's a lot of things I can't do. Yes, life can hurt me. Life can break my heart, but God is in control. And as an act of worship, as a way to live, as a path to follow, I open my hands and I trust God. So the unbeliever 
they may say that God is in control, but they live their life with the question of doubt as to whether or not God is in control. So as a result, who knows what can happen? Oh my, death and disease and despair and destruction and disaster. That's a whole lot of D words. This could be my lot because I'd like to think God's in control, but it doesn't feel like that in my heart. So what's the result of the un, the, the faithless life? I should be afraid. I should be very afraid. I should try to save myself with my leaves that I pull off of the, the tree. I should try to cover myself with the leaves I rip off of the tree. That's how I will cover myself because, you know, maybe God's in control, but I, I'm just filled with fear. Let me cover my, cover myself. Uh, let me give you some scripture and let me show you how biblically we are given promises of God, of his sustenance, of his care for us, of his protection, of his provision, of his favor. Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 54, verses 13 and 14. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. How about Jeremiah 32, 27? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? How about Matthew 10? You're starting to get an idea here. Jesus speaking, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many, many sparrows. I could go on. I have a bunch more in my notes. So the reality is fighting fear in a spiritual context. I'm not saying you're going to overcome your fear of cobras. You should not overcome your fear of cobras because if you play with one of them, bad things are going to happen. I am not trying to teach you how to overcome your fear of heights. You hadn't, you need to have a healthy respect of heights. I'm not trying to get you to uh, decide to let your children, you know, meet somebody they met online. No, that's absurdity. You should have a healthy fear of people who mean to do harm. So you understand what I'm saying? We are overcoming fear in the context of a spiritual life. And if that means, um, we need to understand it spiritually, then that's where the battle is going to be fought. So in context of, in the context of spiritual life, I have to believe that God is in heaven and that he is in control. And as an act of choice, as a spiritual way that I choose to walk, as an act of worship, I give my fears to him. And that allows me to say, if trouble comes, God's going to take care. If disease comes, he is my healer. He is my de deliverer. And if this body should pass away, I have a new body that he has prepared for me. This is a different kind of courage. It's, it's, it's spiritual courage. It's not being, uh, there are circumstances where to not feel fear is, uh, 
is bad stewardship. You should be afraid of that thing. It can hurt you. Um, you should be a good steward, but spiritually, after you have handled the context of the world in which you are given rule, remember, Adam is given authority and rule over a garden. You have arenas of in your life that you should seek to do what you can do, but having done what you can do to the best of your ability, you now are left with this whole vista of things that God's going to have to fight that battle. And so you have to overcome fear spiritually. And what I mean by that is in the context of spiritual life. So I'm going to give you uh, four things that are practical that you can start doing right now. Like, not tomorrow, right now. Now, number one, confess your fears to the Lord. Don't act tough. Don't act like you don't, you know, I'm too powerful for that. No, no. The only person you're feeling is yourself. Confess your fears to the Lord. Confess. I am afraid of this. Confess it to the Lord. Listen to David writing Psalms 34 and 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So number one, confess your fears to the Lord. Number two, worship God for his promises in your life. Be a worshiper. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I worship God for his promise. I am not alone, and I praise you today for myself and on behalf of everyone watching this. I praise you because you are with me. You have not abandoned me. You, win, you, you, you may correct me. You may even allow uh, circumstances in my life to go through all manner of things that constitute the nature of a life lived in the flesh. But in spite of what I face, you are with me and I praise you today because you're on time every time. I worship you today because you are my hope. This body's gonna pass. I get it, I accept it. You've prepared a new body for me and I praise you because death has not won. All right, I'm about to get fired up in here. Number three, practice courage. I say practice courage in the same manner that the Bible says exercise your faith. It gets stronger with the use of it. <laughs> choose courage. It is always easier to choose courage than it is to banish faith, fear, I should say. It's always easier to choose courage than it is to banish fear. Actually, it's more dramatic than that. I don't know how to tell anyone to banish fear. I don't know how to banish fear in my life, but I know how to choose courage and I stare it right in the eye and I tell myself, God, as an act of worship, as an act of praise, I'm gonna let this go to you. I'm gonna leave it with you. I am choosing courage because there's nothing that can come against me that has not already been won, already been weighed, already been paid for, do you see? All right, and number four, um, control your mind. Yes, control your mind. Uh, don't let yourself fall into the habit of thinking, oh, I can't control my mind. Um, yes, you can. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy for me, it nearly kills me. <laughs> Maybe you'll have better luck, but you can do it. That's why Paul would write to the believer, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue, virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
This is what you should be thinking about. So we had four things. Confess your fears to God. Worship God for his promises. Practice courage. Stare your face, your fear right in the face and say, I choose courage. And finally, control your mind. Bring it under subjection. And I, I, I want to uh, leave you with one last, one last thing. Um, actually, I told you I'd give you four, but I, uh, this should have been five. All right, so uh, pretend I said I'm gonna give you five things because we're having a sale. And if you buy four, you get one free. It's not a great sale, is it? Oh, well, it's all I could come up with. So the fifth thing I'm gonna give you is act out your love. Don't wait to feel love. Act out your love. You see, we love God because he first loved us. And we are moved by what he's done for us. And having been forgiven much, it's natural for us to love much. Now, if you're having a pro difficulty loving much, I promise you, this isn't my opinion, this is biblical. Um, it's so biblical that it's multiple mention, multiple reference that if you don't think, if you're not loving much, there's a very good chance you don't really have a sense of how much you've been forgiven. You are just a little too impressed with yourself, but 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 it's okay. Life will break you of that. You don't need me to do that. Um, uh, so if you have a sense of what God's done for you, um, it's going to help you love much. And so uh, this fifth thing, act out your love. Don't wait to feel love. Act it out vertically, how? Through worship. Acted out horizontally, how? Through service and connection. So vertically, it's worship and even testimony. Let's, let's add that. We act out our love vertically through worship and testimony, and we act out our love horizontally through service and connection. Uh, so don't, so, so, so don't just try to fight fear, um, by a type of self argument, but uh, take action and fight it with love. Act out your love. Find a way to serve. Our church is able to happen because of Dream Team, people who volunteer in the church. My goal is to have everybody in this church in some form of service. Secondly, find a way to connect with other believers. This is the function of the body of Christ. My goal in this church is for everyone in this church to have double coverage. You serve and you connect. And, uh, the reason why I want to end with that act out love is because um, uh, this in many ways is the opposite of fear. Uh, John sums it up this way, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So wherever you are, if you're alone, take your hand, put it on your chest. If you're with someone else, uh, maybe you can take their hand unless you're social distancing, in which case just yell at them across the, the living room. But um, let's, let's right now, just let, let's just pray together. So if you're alone, put your hand on your chest, close your eyes. If you're praying with someone else, take their hand, put a hand on their shoulder, whatever works. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I confess to you my capacity for fear. I confess to you that oftentimes it's because I'm picking up things that really only you can do. I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to fix things. I can try to manage things that only you can manage. I have no control. That's why I feel so much fear. Lord Jesus, I confess that fear. And I want to, if possible, I want to turn away from that. And I want to worship you because you promised you would be with me. 
you would be you would be with me and I want to praise you because that's who you are that's what you've promised and that's what you've done in my life uh, I I want very much to be courageous I want very much to be uh, I want to look my fear right in the face and say this is not the way this is the way of uh, judging God charging God foolishly foolishly pretending to be a believer without really believing uh, that's not the way the way rather is choosing courage and knowing that you are with us Lord Jesus forgive me for the doubt that is so easily easily manifest in my heart and teach me to celebrate who you are and praise you and worship your worship your name and help me to help me to act out love love the opposite of fear help me to act it out in my life vertically to you and horizontally to others in jesus name we pray in jesus name we pray our minds fight us our minds take us down all these different paths all these different ways help us to control our mind in jesus name amen love you guys I mean, I really love you, <laughs> um, and I want you to have a great week. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have God's favor in your life. I want you to prosper. That's enough. God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.